Hello and welcome to Nutmeg Book Drops, Elementary Edition. This podcast is brought to you by Librarians Connect, a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. On each episode, we will be discussing one or more of the 2023 Elementary Nutmeg Book Award nominees. You can check these out from your local library. Welcome! On this episode, we are thrilled to talk with Nen Lei, the author of 2023 Nutmeg Elementary Nominee Lift, published by Little Brown and Company. Hello, Nutmeg listeners. I'm Adrienne Snow, the Reading and Library Coordinator for Enfield Public Schools and an adjunct instructor at Tunxis and CCSU. And I'm Ann Fourier, school librarian at Moses Y. Beach Elementary School in Wallingford, Connecticut. A big warm welcome to Middletown Native Men. We are so happy to have you here. Will you introduce yourself? And for our listeners who haven't yet been able to read the book, please tell us a little bit about the story and where you got the idea to write it. Sure. Thank you to both of you. Thank you so much for having me. As a Connecticut native, it's such a treat to to be honored or have the book um, honored in that way within the state that I grew up in. So that's a that's a big treat for me. Um, so I yeah I'm a Middletown, Connecticut native. Um, I went to, to public school in Middletown, um, but I always wanted to write. Well, I always loved reading, um, and eventually that love of reading turned into a desire to to write my own stories and share my own stories. So I feel very fortunate that I'm in a position these days to to share stories with the world. So the fact that um, Lyft is on the nutmeg list and gets to be shared with with everyone and with kids in Connecticut is really a dream come true true for me. Um, for those of you who haven't read Lyft, um, it's about a, a young girl who loves to push elevator buttons. Um, and one day she um, <laughs> actually, and her job is to within the family is to push elevator buttons until one day her little brother gets to push the button and she is not happy about that at all. And she throws a little bit of a tantrum in after, after that. But then she discovers a discard the elevator button. She brings it home and she puts it up next to her closet and just as a fun decoration. But when she pushes it, something magical happens because all of a sudden that elevator button lights up and it dings. And then her closet opens and it turns into has turned into this magical elevator that takes her to all these magical worlds. Um, so for me, when I was trying to come up with the book, um, I remember when my my kids at the time were I think they're about seven and four, and whenever we'd be out and about in the world, if there was an elevator anywhere nearby, they would go running up to it, and then they'd have to fight over who got to push which button. If one of them pushed the outside button, the other one had to push the inside button. And it was this constant negotiation. And being a parent, the more I paid attention to being out in the world, I was like, I've never seen a kid who didn't want to push that button or like need to push that button. So I was like, there must be some, some story here. Um, and then the other thing is I remember when my youngest was a baby, I remember stepping onto an elevator with with him. Um, we we're at like a shopping mall somewhere. I was just watching his face, right? And we step into this tiny room. He's looking around, and then the doors close, and then his eyes light up when there's that magical ding. And then he's just looking around, and then when the doors open, we step out 
onto this whole new world. You could see a look in his eyes like, what is this magic? Um, it was probably the third floor of the shopping mall. But to, to this baby, when everything is so new, it was this completely magical experience. So seeing that look in his eyes made me want to try to figure out a way to recapture that sense of wonder and that sense of magic for, for readers as well. So that's how the idea for Lifts came about. Um, and it's really fun to, to see it out in the world. Thank you. That's wonderful. I think kids are going to really be inspired to think of what else could be behind those doors. That's been a fun thing now that um, I get to go talk to schools again. Um, a lot of teachers will do those exercises of like, okay, so where would you go if you had a magic elevator button? Um, and to the point where Dan Santad, the amazing illustrator, and I, he put a principal elevator button online that teachers and students and families could print out so they could have their own magic elevator button at home, um, which has been really fun to see kids kind of using that as a, a prompt for their own imaginative adventures. Oh, that's awesome. I will be using that. We noticed that the book is dedicated to your sisters. You say, thank you for a lifetime of lifting one another up. Can you tell our listeners more about you and your siblings? Are you the oldest, youngest, or in the middle? How have your siblings influenced your writing? Um, yeah, no, it was, it was very special for me to dedicate to my sisters. I am the middle child of three, um, which personally, I'm biased, but I think the middle position is the, is the best. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm very close to my sisters, and they've just been such a wonderful source of support and love throughout my life. Um, and we're all very different people, but I think we all complement each other really well. And it's just, there's very few relationships that you can replicate that are like a, a sibling, right? So that, that idea of, um, and the way I love about writing Lyft was, it's about that bond between siblings, but it's also shows the tension that's there too. When like Iris is upset with her little brother and she's not so, so happy about it. So it's not that it's almost like those bonds are strong almost because they can withstand the tension and the times when you don't get along, right? It's both inspired by my relationship with my sisters, but also inspired by the sibling bond that I see with my with my two boys as well. And just seeing like how tight they they are and like just getting to watch that as a parent now um, is really, really special. Iris travels to a jungle, to space, and to a snowy mountain summit. Would you have chosen these places when you were Iris's age if you had a magic button? Who would you have taken with you on your adventures? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I probably, I might've wanted to go to space, um, but if I had a button back then, I would definitely have gone to a uh, tropical island somewhere and I'd probably go with my sisters. Um, but what's funny about that is a little behind the scenes peek at the, the bookmaking process. When I wrote the story, if you look at the manuscript, it goes up to the point where it says, Iris pushes the, the button and then the doors open up onto this magical world. But then I left everything that was on the other side of the elevator door up to Dan. Because I was like, Dan is such an amazing artist. He's such an amazing storyteller in his own right. I wanted to give him an opportunity to um, flex his own storytelling muscles. So for me, I was like, I want to see what Dan Santa wants to draw, like where his imagination takes him. And he thought about all these different kinds of things, um, including like really fantastical, like surreal places. But he, but he says, you know, the idea of a magical elevator button taking you somewhere is already magical enough. We don't need to like let's for this for this book. Um, 
let's go to these places that are a little more feel a little bit more accessible, even though that it is space and and then all of that. Um, but for me, it was really an example of our collaborative process of just like me coming part of the way with the story, and then handing it off to Dan and see where he takes it. And um, every time we we work together, he just kind of blows blows my mind every every time I see his artwork. So for me, it's almost like working with Dan is like having your own, own magic elevator button. You push the button and then you see what happens and it's just it's just amazing You're, and it takes your breath away. I can't think of a nicer compliment. <laughs> That's so nice. So Lyft is our second oh, book gosh. together and we yeah. just put out a third book called The Blur, kind of as like an unofficial family trilogy because if Drawn Together is about kids and their grandparents and Lyft is about siblings, um, the blur is about kids and their parents. So it's like kind of like uh, kind of completing the circle as far as like the different relationships in our lives and, and things like that. So it's been amazing to get to work with him. And um, we actually have another book in the works that'll be coming out in a couple of years. So um, I've, I feel so fortunate that I get to partner with him. And and I hope that that gets a, that we have to keep doing it for as long as people will let us. <laughs> I hope so too. Really, each one is such a work of genius that, you know, they really are books that just stay with you. When I write these stories, um, before sending them off to my editor and to Dan, it's a it's a very solitary process, right? You're like in your office, you're kind of writing, you're trying to come up with an idea on your own. Um, so for a book two plus years later in the future to land in the hands of a reader and have that kind of impact, is the to me it's like the magic of books and why why i love doing what i do we love iris her slumped shoulders and multi-button pushing temper tantrums being so true what inspired you to create her character it's when dan does such an amazing job with those like the way a body moves or like the the way a eyebrow is arched like there's so much personality and just a in a brushstroke when he puts it on the page so he he brought so much life to, to the character. Um, for me, the the kind of inspiration behind the character was to show a kid in kind of like very emotionally real um, situations, right? Not a so the in the end, the Iris learns how to comes to terms with her younger brother and wants to include him and stuff, but. We wanted to show how much she grew over that time during the course of the book. And um, and for me as a kid, I spent a lot of my time kind of like daydreaming in, in my own imaginative spaces. So to have a character like Iris, who felt to me very like a real flesh and blood kid who lived in lived within the world of her own imagination as well and had got to go on these adventures, that to me felt like a good mix of both the fantastical but also the the realistic and the the mundane, right? And it's to me as a person who likes to read, those are the stories that resonate with me the most, where they kind of like blur back and forth between the imaginative world and the real world, and like sometimes you don't know where those lines are exactly. And that's that's also the case with Lyft because we don't really answer or tell readers whether or not she's actually going places or if it's just in her imagination. We want to leave that up to the reader to decide what their truth is with the story, right? Because for me as a, an author, and I think Dan as well, we want to have create a dialogue with the reader. And when you're writing a book and 
the people reading are going to be, like I said, like two plus years in the future. Like, how do you create a conversation with someone you haven't met and you're, and you're not going to actually meet? You have to create this conversation through the book. So through the story, creating these situations, but telling the story in such a way that the reader, for all of you readers out there, have to come to the story as well and bring your own experiences and your own interpretations to the story. To me, that's how you create a dialogue and that's how you bring allow a book to come to life. Because I always tell kids, for me as an author, I always say that a book is never done until it's being read, right? Because I can like tell the story, but until you're reading it and you're experiencing it and you're bringing your own interpretation to the story, that's when a story comes to life. So anytime you all pick up a, a copy of these books, you're, to me, that's like a book landing in its final destination. It's, it's, it's finally realizing its purpose. So I'm always grateful to, to readers out there, especially, especially readers from Connecticut, since that's where I was born. <laughs> Iris's character grows in maturity as the story progresses and her imagination strengthens. Mm -hmm. Based on your expertise with early childhood development, can you share ways our listeners can strengthen their imaginations like Iris does? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. For me, there's so many opportunities and ways to be distracted throughout your day and like just to kind of like float through the day. And there's so much stimulus, whether it's like phones or TV or things like that, that it's so easy to be the recipient of other people's imaginations, right? Um, but I think that part of exercising that muscle is just being open to opportunities to let your own imagination run wild and kind of like come up with different scenarios. And a lot of that is just being present in the moment and being open to, to the, the things around you. Um, for example, like when I told you about walking to the elevator with my son and getting the idea for lift that way, I could, and I'm sure there are other times as well where I'm walking onto the elevator with my baby in one arm and my phone in the other hand while I'm looking something up, right? It's like, and I'm, if I'm not, if I wasn't present in that moment and paying attention to my children and just like the, the situation, then I wouldn't have given myself that opportunity to come up, to, to flex my own imagination in that situation. So for me, when I talk to kids, it's like just trying to make sure that you build in space to be present and to be open to possibility. When I'm writing, my goal is to remember what it was like to be a kid and to like see the eyes, uh, see the world through the eyes of a kid with that sense of wonder. So I was like, kids have a, like all you kids out there have such an advantage because you are in that space right now. You don't have to recreate or try to recapture it. You are living it. So I am insanely jealous by all you youngins out there because you have that sense of wonder right there at your fingertips uh, at all times. And old, old men and old people like me have to work at it a little bit harder. Iris's little brother has a toy tiger that maybe is named Iris or used to belong to Iris. It says Iris across the, the front. Did you have a special stuffed animal or toy that was important to you when you were young? Um, that's a, that's an interesting way of framing the question because for me, I always thought it read as it was Iris's stuffed tiger and maybe her brother took it or her parents made her give it to her little brother or maybe she gave it to her little brother. But then I would go into talk to schools and kids were like, 
I noticed that the the tiger is named Iris and that her brother named it that because he loves his sister so much. I was like, that is such a sweet interpretation and one that I didn't even anticipate when I was writing the book, right? And for me, that's also the joy of this because there are so many times when young readers out there reveal different layers of the story that I didn't even know were there. Um, so for me, that, that's a very special. That's one of my favorite parts about doing school visits, just seeing what I missed. It's like, it's a book that I wrote and I didn't see what you're seeing, which I think is always such a treat. But as far as uh, my own stuffed animal, I had the, the one that I remember the most was a stuffed animal of Tramp from Lady and the Tramp that I got from Disney World when I was a kid. And at the time it was probably about the same size as me, but I remember like carrying it in both arms all over the house. And um, to this day, whenever I see a dog with kind of like that, like goatee type of face, I have a soft spot for, for that. So, so yeah, not, nothing as to the same level as Iris's brother and the, the stuffed tiger, but that was definitely the, the one for me. Is there a reason why it's a tiger? So that I also left up to, to Dan. Um, and he came up with a couple of different versions. In the end, if you notice, the stuffed tiger looks a little bit like Hobbes from Calvin and Hobbes when he's not, when he's an actual stuffed animal. So it was, and I love Calvin and Hobbes too. So I was thrilled to see that kind of like wink and nod to, to Calvin and Hobbes. You know how I said that I never told Dan what was on the other side of that door. But then once he came up with what was on the other side of the door, we went back in to the real world of the text and um, I had to put little clues in there. So he had her going to the jungle and there's this tiger there. So I was like, if we're having the stuffed animal anyways, why don't we make it a tiger to kind of make that like little connection, a little clue, like maybe she's going because she misses her stuffed tiger and she's like going back to visit an old friend. So all those little clues that we put in there are kind of ways that, like I said, I like books that don't give you all the answers up front. And as someone who writes picture books, the hope is that you'll write something that readers will want to read more than one time. You put in details that you might not notice the first time, but then on a reread, you will notice more detail. So the more layers of things that you can put in there and allow them to reveal themselves over time, I think the the more likely you'll have a book that people will come back to more often. You live in San Diego, California now on the West Coast, but went to college not far from Connecticut on the East Coast. How have different places influenced and inspired your writing? Do you have a special place where you like to go to think of new ideas and write? Um, the short answer is yes. Like wherever I live, and no matter what the surroundings, I always try to find a special, what I call a, a thinking spot, which I think comes from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> we used to watch, read and watch that all the time when I was a kid. So um, when I went to school in New Hampshire, I would just go for like a lot of long walks in the woods and find like a, there was a little clearing that I'd go to and just kind of like, like I said before, like for me, a big part of trying to be a creative individual is creating the space to allow for that creativity. So in New Hampshire, that would be walking into the woods and finding a quiet spot to, to be alone with my thoughts. When I lived in Washington, D.C. for a long time, I used to live on Capitol Hill and I had a spot on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. There's like a fountain there. So in the middle of the night, if I couldn't sleep, I'll walk down there and just sit there and just kind of look out on the National Mall and kind of brainstorm. Now here in San Diego, I'm lucky enough that if I have writer's blog, I can hop in the car and within 15, 20 minutes, I'm at the beach and walking along and just staring at the ocean. And there's something about the rhythm of the ocean and the immensity of the ocean. 
that kind of gives forces me to have a certain kind of perspective. It's not so much the particulars of the environment, but it's just like trying to find wherever I am a place where I can have a little bit more space for kind of creative exploration. A lot of that is also just getting away from the computer, getting away from all those stim- external um, forces that kind of, for very good reasons, occupy your day, right? So it's kind of like force yourself out of that and then give yourself time to kind of marinate in your own thoughts and kind of give let your mind wander. For a while in the early stages of the pandemic, I'd go over to my in-laws house because I have a little pool. So I'd go swimming there and I realized it was a great place for me to brainstorm because I couldn't be on my phone. I couldn't be listening to a podcast. I had to, it was just me in a pool with my thoughts. And I was like, this is a great place to just like brainstorm. So I just do that for like 20 minutes or an hour and just kind of let my mind wander. Um, it's less about the the place and more about the the mindset and making it a priority. I like that perspective a lot. That makes sense. And I think that's something a lot of our listeners can can try and do as well. We love to hear about our nutmeg creators as young readers, writers, and artists themselves. What were you reading or drawing or writing when you were in elementary school? And do you have any writing advice for our nutmeg readers? Yeah, I'm trying to think when I was a kid, the the picture book that I love the most and I still love is Harold and the Purple Crayon. And for me, that is like kind of like a perfect encapsulation of like just like you're like building the world as you go right the story kind of the world around you evolves and is shaped by your own creativity and I love the I love that story so much because it is so simple but also it just makes a ton of there's a lot of depth there in, in, in its simplicity um the other picture book that I loved and still love is there's a monster at the end of this book <laughs> which to me kind of blew the doors open on like what a picture book could do it's kind of like your first experience with like meta fiction and like you as a reader as part of this reading experience and for me as a writer it's like that's something that's so much fun to play with like a book isn't just this passive object it's something that is interactive and the reader is a full if not the primary participant in the experience so like how do you as a writer draw in the reader into the into the fabric of the story and for me, those those books kind of do that very well. The other picture book that I always point to is A Chair for My Mother by Vera B. Williams, which I think is, was such a beautiful story about family and community. And so those three, when I look back at the books that I've written, those themes kind of weave themselves through a lot of a lot of them. And a, there's a librarian on Twitter who who one day she wrote me, she's like, I have your writing pegged. I, I've got you pegged. <laughs> She's like, I know what all your books are about. They're about the power of books and creativity and the importance of family and community. And I was like, I think you're exactly right. And if that's what you, if that, if that's the takeaway that readers get from reading the books that I've been able to work on, um, then I'll, I'll consider that a, a success as far as the life of an author. Um, as far as advice for for young readers, I would just say, be patient with yourself. Be open to opportunity. Something I like to point out when I go into schools is I'm almost positive that the stories you've written for a class are longer than the books that I've written. If you take the words and drawn together, for example, the text in that book fits snugly within like two tweets on Twitter. So it's like there's very few words in there. So like 
So these kids are writing and they are already storytellers in their own right. You don't have to be published to be a storyteller or to be a writer. So I want to give them the opportunity to identify and feel within their bones that they are writers, that they're capable of putting these stories out in the world as much as anyone else out there. But then also that nothing comes out perfect the first time. And I'll sometimes bring like old drafts that I've, I've written. I've seen kids get very frustrated when they write something. It's not exactly how they think it should be. So they kind of like give up. A lot of us published authors out there feel the same way. It's like you write something, you're struggling with it. But you realize like nothing ever comes out 100% perfect the first time. You have to work at it. You have to get feedback from people. I work with my, my everything I write. I have my wife read. I have my kids read. My editors read it. And and so it is very collaborative and you have to be open to, to that process and that process and getting help from other people, um, being patient with yourself is all part of what it means to, to be a creative person. And it doesn't have to be just you on your, your own. And I think being open to those things will help you in the long run because it helps kind of minimize some of the frustrations that can lead you to, to walk away from something. For all of you out there, I just hope that one day I get to, to read one of the books that you've written and see, and see you on the shelf next to, to ours. Thank you. That's wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and learning from you. And um, I can't wait to go pick up Blur because I haven't read that yet. You might need to get some tissues before you read it. I'm not sure. But <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Like I said, it's such a treat. To There's so many books to choose from out there that um, anytime a book that I've been able to work on is highlighted in, in this kind of way, um, it's just a, it's such a joy. So, so thank you to, to everyone, everyone in the state, everyone listening. Thank you. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Nutmeg Book Drops Elementary Edition. You can find out more about our podcast at our website, bit.ly slash librariansconnect. Subscribe to our podcast to be notified when the next episode drops. Thanks so much for listening.